Hello and welcome back to the Pulse Podcast. My name is Jeff Frost. I'm a third year resident in physiatry at the University of British Columbia. I am one of your hosts today, but I am joined by Emily Stewart. Emily, say hi. Hi, Jeff. Happy to be back. Thanks for coming back. It was great to have you last week. Wait, that's a lie. We don't make podcasts every week. It was great to have you last episode. Yeah, although it was a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so thanks for so coming we've been back. been busy. I know. Residency, right? Anyways, today is August of 2018, and we are here to talk about starting a family in residency. Specifically, we're going to close up our starting a family in residency mini-series by talking about parenting in residency. <laughs> yeah, parenting in residency. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. We... Uh, put a lot of work into our parenting mini-series, so it's it's going to be great to finally finish. <laughs> it's, it's been kind of hanging over my head that we haven't finished this one yet. So, Emily, you excited to talk parenting? I sure am. Yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, it's a really deep topic. You know, you can keep looking for more and more information and more and more opinions, and we kind of did that. Mm-hmm. We In preparation for this, uh, we didn't have children. I don't, I don't have any children. No, we should probably put those disclaimers right up front and center. <laughs> Jeff is not a parent. And I don't think you are either. I am not a parent. So you might be wondering why we are recording this podcast. Well, turns out real parents don't have time for recording podcasts, but we're pretty grateful they were willing to be interviewed in between parenting and residency. Yeah, so we actually spent a lot of time talking to a whole bunch of your uh, colleagues who are parents in residency, and we managed to nail a few down to a bench and and interview a few of them. Uh, So we've got a couple interviews with uh, residents that are parents, and we've also got some interviews with experts in the field who've done research on the topic specifically of parenting and residency. And we've also got an interview with one of the counselors at the wellness office. So that really should help us fill out the knowledge that Emily and I might lack because we have never purchased diapers. Yeah. So, uh, Emily, I mean, we're going to start this off with a bang. Are you ready for our first talking point? I'm excited, Jeff. It's like Crossfire. I think that's how that TV show worked, right? They, like, set a point. You watch way more TV than I do, Jeff. I have never seen that show. It's just referenced a lot in popular culture. But anyways. Back to the podcast. Back to the podcast. So our very first quote comes from Stacey Cabbage. I should say Dr. Stacey Cabbage. Stacy is a resident in family medicine at UBC, and she's also doing a research project on the effects of parenting and residency and how people manage the difficulties of both residency and parenting. So we started the whole day by just asking Stacy, what's it like to be a parent in residency? What did you hear from your research subjects in terms of how parenting affects the person? And uh, Stacy Started with a bang, I think it's fair yeah, to say. Yeah, she really sets the tone here. Yeah, she brings the sledgehammer. So this is what Stacy had to say. All of the residents reported that parenting during residency was difficult, and it presented multiple challenges. Some went as far as to say they had seen families, quote, nearly or completely destroyed in the medical education process, unquote. Whew. That uh, does not paint a pretty picture. Yeah, I think the exact uh, quote there was families have somewhat or been completely destroyed in the parenting process. Yeah, I think like that. that's what she said. So that sets the tone. It can only go up from here, though, right? I hope. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty shocking thing to hear, right? Like, I don't know how many times I've heard from people that parenting is the, the best thing you can do in your life. It's the most rewarding thing you can do in your life. But Stacy kind of said the opposite. Yeah, I'm curious what else people have to say after that beginning. Yeah, and uh, we did get some actual parents, too, to give us their thoughts on parenting, and one of the first people we spoke to is Neil. 
Uh, Neil is the husband of a physiatry staff. When we interviewed Neil, his wife was still a resident, but it takes a while to make podcasts. <laughs> so uh, they have two lovely young daughters, and um, this is what Neil had to say about the whole parenting in residency process. It's it's kind of accretive. That's the problem. And so our, our, we have a lot of friends who have been through this process, and to be totally honest, like many who have suffered. Um, and in in the process and their relationships themselves like this has been very hard for a lot of people so our friends in surgery it's like shit this is brutal <laughs> I, I would not totally recommend them that it's a little bit one or the other to, to my mind or a partner who goes yeah totally great i'm stay at home that's no problem and i just am totally responsible you come and go as you need if everybody's on side it's perfect that's great yeah, he uh, really isn't pulling any punches there, is he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what can you say, right? Like, he, he's lived through it. He's had two daughters. Both of his children were born during residency for him and his wife. And I guess he's he's seen the ups and the downs. Yeah. But I'm a half-glass-full kind of person. So what I'm hearing here is there, there's got to be some amazing things about having a family in order to be able to talk about the negative so candidly and for people to be willing to become parents time and time again. I mean, that's a good point. Neil had two children during the residency process, so um, it can't be all bad. Otherwise, I don't think they would have gone back for round two Exactly. <laughs> to, to risk speaking for Neil there. But it, it does beg the question, like if everyone's kind of saying that it's really tough to have kids in residency, like, why? I mean, people have kids all the time. What about residency makes it so specifically difficult? What about residency makes it difficult? I think it's, it's the time and probably just having kids. That's what many of my friends in residency say. Parenting a kid is hard, residency or not. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've read a couple bits of research about this myself. And the one thing that came up over and over and over again is that parenting period is difficult. Mm-hmm. Put yourself in any situation, uh, any situation, and parenting is difficult. The demands of raising a child, of being up all night, breastfeeding, if that's the route you go in the first few months, it's tough. Yeah, but residency is a special situation in that we do have kind of atypical demands on our time. And so Stacy also had some, some wisdom on this. And when we asked her about time, she brought this up. So most parents report it was difficult to find time and motivation for studying with kids in the house. They found especially studying for licensing exams to be particularly stressful. Work was affected in multiple ways. Residents reported finding it difficult to, difficult to prioritize extra responsibilities, such as responding to my narrative requests, <laughs> and, uh, and also to participate in teaching in the evenings, for example. They often self-limited exposure to extra learning opportunities in order to balance their household roles. And others found it difficult to organize call schedules around family obligations. And they also um, recounted the need to work even harder as a resident, especially after they've returned from maternity or stress leave, for example. So exhaustion was a common theme. I heard something about exhaustion being... Common? Yeah. <laughs> and she did say a lot there. Yeah, I mean, the thing that, that I got out of that was just the fact that we just don't have that much time. It's certainly something I've realized in my own residency, and I know I'm not a parent, but the, the most valuable resource I have these days, which I, I'm starting to guard very jealously, is just time. Yeah. And 
one thing I heard her say was people having to work even harder when they come back. And I'm not sure exactly what she was referring to there, but I wonder if if parents are penalized somehow for coming back to residency. And, And I would like to think things are changing a little bit, but, you know, you maybe are, you know, a little bit more dedicated to your family and you are not able to dedicate as much time into staying late sometimes. And I wonder if that's what she's referring to. Um, but I'd be interested to know if, if parents in residency do feel that way about working harder when they come back or feeling like they're, you know, not, not respected as much. Yeah, I mean, one of the difficulties of a, a summary podcast like this, when we're taking all the different information we had and trying to cut it down, is we eventually, we unfortunately have to cut out some of the details. And, and what you're hinting at is Stacy probably spoke for about 20 minutes on just that question. And what she was really getting at is the is the whole cornucopia of possibilities. So she spoke about how there's pushback from staff who think that you aren't as dedicated to your career. Mm-hmm. So you feel you have to work harder. Yeah. There's internal pushback where you feel guilty for having taken time off. And I'm using air quotes there because you you didn't take time off at all. Yeah. You know, you were busy parenting. But that internal guilt forces you to start working even harder than perhaps you had before. Uh, And there's a few other points she brought up. Well, there's pushback from every direction, it sounds like. I mean, talking to some of my friends who have kids in residency, their daycare penalizes them a dollar per minute that they're late to pick up their child from daycare. And so you staying a little bit later to help your team out. There's a lot of costs. So, you know, with with daycares charging a dollar per minute that you're late picking up your child from daycare, there's a huge tension between do I stay late or do I pick up my child and not get penalized? And and it's probably fair to say that people do feel like they can't do anything right. Yeah, totally. And you know, we started to ask some of the parents, like specifically, what are the issues that you encounter? And one of the first people we spoke to was Claire. Uh, Claire's an R2 in internal medicine. And when we asked her what was one of the hardest things about parenting, Claire had this to say. The number one difficulty for me, and this may be similar for other people or different, but at that time, my son, we had had him sleeping, but I was still feeding through the night. So I was getting up. I I honestly can't remember. I've probably blacked it out, but I think I was getting up either two or three times a night. So he might go to bed at seven and then I'd feed him at 10 PM, 2 PM, 5 AM, that kind of thing. So that was the amount of sleep disruption that I was having, even on, you know, air quotes, nights off of residency. That was pretty intense. And then I was also continuing to pump at work. So for me, it was very important to sort of follow the rules and do six months of exclusive breastfeeding and then do this sort of WHO recommendation of two years and beyond and so I I made it work that I was still pumping and providing overnight milk while I was on call so my husband would be at home feeding him at the times when he was waking up and then I was at work on call pumping multiple times a night (laughs) that's a lot (laughs) she I think she spoke to the the exhaustion factor there and she said in the first few months after the birth of her child she was up three times a night she said I mean that's like doing night shifts every day Plus her regular job, which is residency. Yeah. I mean, we do, as physiatrists, we do home call. And if I get woken up two, three times on a home call shift, like I will be complaining about that for a week. Like forget, (laughs) forget doing it every single night. Like that's, that's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) So I can understand how exhaustion comes into play there. And then she was talking about how she was pumping at work. I know. Breastfeeding at work. I mean, that 
sounds stressful for so many reasons. And anecdotally, only some hospitals have adequate private rooms for breastfeeding available from what we've heard from residents. Yeah. And I mean, granted, I've never breastfed, but my understanding really? is... Really? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It, like, it's time-consuming. It's painful. You have to find somewhere to store all your equipment. Like, this is a non-trivial task. And it takes a bit of time, too. So, you know, that's time that you have to carve out of your workday. Right. And back to what you were talking about earlier, how sometimes people feel they need to work harder. I mean, if you have to excuse yourself for 30 minutes in the middle of the day to pump, that I could see how that would, I think unfairly, lead you to feel somewhat guilty or feel like you have to work, air quotes, harder and than it shouldn't, those around you. Yeah, it shouldn't be that way. And I, I would hope that things are changing in, in most fields in residency. But I, I know anecdotally, at least, it's definitely challenging for a lot of women in medicine. Yeah. And, you know, we've already kind of spoken about this, but it, it's not just the mechanics. You know, it's not just the, the breastfeeding that matters. We had a chance to speak to Kyla. Uh, Kyla is an, an R5 in physiatry, and we asked her what was really hard about parenting for her. And she kind of hit us with one of the, I want to say, biggest problems in parenting in Canada, not just in, not just in BC, not just in residency. And this is what Kyla had to say. Um. You know, there's so many things about um, starting a family that you don't consider before you start a family <laughs> that then <laughs> come into your worldview. And so, yeah, I had thought about, you know, perhaps finance, you know, uh, the my son Felix would, would uh, draw my finances in a different way than um, – pre-pregnancy, but I hadn't really anticipated how big an issue childcare was going to be. Mm. So childcare is going to be far and away my biggest expense when I um, come back uh, from maternity leave because my husband and I will live apart for part of the years. So he's finishing up a contract here in the U.S. where I am on maternity leave, maternity leave now. sorry, And um, when I come back in August, from August through December, I'm essentially going to be you know, solo parenting. So I'm going to need childcare for work hours, but then also rounds, journal club. I'm doing some sports coverage, teaching. And when I added it all up, you know, it's close to 60 hours a week. Um, yeah. And there are very few spots in community centers, like as it is, and those programs or even a nanny share would be eight to four, which means I probably need before and after daycare, childcare. So it's, yeah, that I think is like my biggest concern slash financial concern. And I've spoken with some of the other residents who are moms and we all find ourselves in this situation. Um, and so covering the cost of childcare on a resident or fellow salary is like by far and away the biggest concern we all have. Yeah. So she really hits on two things there. One, the need for childcare when your work hours are high, and two, just the sheer difficulty of finding childcare. Yeah, yeah, it's not easy. It's costly. And it just, I don't know, that's something that strikes me as unfortunate, that it, you can't even find the childcare to be, begin with, even if you could pay for it. Yeah, and I was talking to a fellow who said almost every dollar that she earns goes into paying a nanny, because that's what she has to do for childcare. And that's you know, she finds that really financially stressful. So it's just something to think about. And I think that's what she was hitting on here. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bunch of residents I spoke to who uh, wouldn't 
sit down for an interview because they were fairly stressed out by some aspects of the parenting process. And the one that came up over and over again with those residents was the idea of finances. Yeah. And they were talking about how they live off the line of credit, so they don't actually make enough money to stay afloat. And year over year, they're going into more debt, which, uh, that's tough. It's mm-hmm. tough to think, because we do make a pretty good salary compared to the median wage in Vancouver. But when you realize that, like, once you tag on med school debt and then childcare costs, like, there's just no way. Yeah. And I could see that being a huge stressor. We also asked uh, Elizabeth Sabine from the wellness office about childcare, uh, just to get her perspective from another another lens. And this is what she had to say. Uh, well, the childcare situation in BC is brutal. So there's very long wait lists, and it's very difficult to find childcare. So I always encourage residents to get on wait lists as soon as possible. There are a couple of um, childcare centers in the lower mainland where. Um, Hospital staff, the VGH or PHSA at BC Children's staff, uh, get prioritized on the list. Um, and those are with the YMCA. So for example, kids at Heather, they'll prioritize VGH staff. Um, but the wait lists are, are still very long. So to give you an example, I myself, um, was pregnant in the fall of 2015. And I put myself on all the wait lists in fall of 2015 when I became pregnant, and I still have not received a phone call from one wait list. And just to be clear, it is now June 2018? 2018, yeah. All right, so instant analysis. Three years of wait lists? Three years of wait lists, and she still hasn't heard back. I mean, what is a woman in medicine supposed to do? Well, there's one easy answer, and that is a house husband. I mean, maybe, but, you know, (laughs) there isn't really a single solution that works for all of residents. I mean, some people, yes, do have husbands who can stay at home or partners who can stay at home. Some people are able to dip into maybe their lines of credits and get a, you know, a a nanny that's there full time or do a nanny share. Um, Daycare, as you've just heard, is a huge challenge. And then some people you know, are lucky enough to have family members live nearby that can help them. But I, I think that's probably an exception. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That last one's an exception from the discussions I've had with residents. I mean, most of us end up moving either through the, the gift that is CARMS or even just life takes Absolutely. you. But totally, I mean, when you're forced with things like a nanny, these are expensive solutions to a really tough problem. Absolutely. And it's not like childcare is optional. No. I mean, someone needs to be there for your child. Yeah. And you know what? We asked Stacey about the specific problem of what about two high-octane careers together? I mean, it's it's not uncommon. We all know a resident who's dating another resident or med student or staff. And and what do those people do? And Stacey's answer was unfortunate, (laughs) I think is how I'll summarize it. Yeah, it's not looking good. But this is what Stacey had to say. And so in terms of role cycling dilemmas, the study shows that parenthood does make it extremely difficult to maintain two extreme professional careers. So a common strategy is for one of the partners, and it's often the woman, but as I said, not in this, not the case in this study, to either interrupt their career or reduce their workload in order to accommodate the demands of raising children. I mean, so there, there you have it. I mean, how crushing would that be for you? I mean, for me too, but let's, let's be fair and be honest that often it's the female that's asked to do this. You've spent 
how many years in post-secondary education? I think coming up on 12 years now. Yeah. And you're even more, I think, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a couple engineering degrees, so I, I think I'm up to like 15, 16 years at this point. And I just imagine having a partner ask me to, you know, essentially walk away from that to mm -hmm. do childcare. I don't know how you'd feel. I mean, I, I don't think I'd be okay with it. Yeah, I, it's, it's a tough question, Jeff. I mean, you know, this is where, you know, looking at the way our gender roles are kind of divvied up in society is really coming in here. I think typically we still have the expectation that women are doing a lot of the child rearing and, you know, there's often this debate about whether women should stay at home to raise the kids or try to do it all. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard to comment on that. I think it would be nice to live in a gender free world or a gender role free world is what I was trying to say, you know, as a feminist, but I just don't think that is the case, you know, that I'm not naive enough to think that's the case. So what does this all look like in the end? Yeah, and it, and it all to me it always comes back to that most precious of resources, which is time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to be the woman who does it all, who has a career, who raises her children, who uh, you know is active and healthy, and all that fun stuff. I mean, there's just so many hours in the day, and you start running out of hours. Yeah, and you know, I've personally read a lot about this topic about how you know women can have it all, and the opposite view that women can't have it all. And I don't think that there's a really clear answer, but it. What we do know is that it comes with some serious challenges. Um, and Stacey actually looked into this. So she looked into how gender roles affect resident parents specifically. Okay. Normative dilemmas are those that arise from discrepancies between your personal um, and social norms. So, and then identity dilemmas are those that uh, regard interchanging roles that have been traditionally described as either masculine or feminine. So some feminine participants commented on the prevalence of heteronormative attitudes in residency. One mother recalls a doctor saying, wow, you must have a really supportive husband to be able to go through medicine. <laughs> and she goes on to say there are so many things wrong with this statement, but that is the culture of medicine and a reflection of where doctors come from. So, and another mother, though, on the flip side, noted social norms that ostracized her husband, who had chosen to remain at home to care for children during her residency. She said, for my husband, being a default parent in a small town can be a challenge as well. It took him months before moms at Strong Start would talk to him, and at Family Gym, they never did. <laughs> so... <laughs> And then in terms of identity norms, a participant wrote regarding her residency, those were dark, hard days when I had to confront the fairy tale I had come to believe as a girl that I could have everything as a woman. It was true. I had a family and a career, but I felt I had neither really. I wasn't able to be the mother I had imagined being and started out as, and I couldn't be the student I was expected to be either. And another participant reflected, I'm proud to show her, meaning my daughter, that women can do everything they want and to model non-gender traditional roles, but I often wonder if it's at the expense of being a more available and present parent. Whew, there is a lot there, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, that's, there's so much to unpack. I, I mean... The guilt. The I guilt. Mean, I think that's what hit me the most, or at least first, I think the guilt of not being a good enough doctor and the guilt of not being a good enough mother. And I think having that never ending sense of you're not good enough is, 
is so heavy. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that, you know, her research showed this to kind of confirm what we kind of already know. But yeah, that guilt is, is really something to think about. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's something too that compounds upon one of the biggest problems of residency. I don't know about you, but how often have you felt guilty in residency? Absolutely. Like all the time, all the time. I think just a week ago, I got yelled at by some random surgeon for a management decision I made on a patient, which, you know, could have gone either way <laughs> as far as I was concerned. And I felt bad about that, right? And I'm just some random resident. Imagine feeling bad about your job and then feeling bad about your parenting and then feeling bad about not doing either of those correctly. Ugh. But and then you have to maintain your relationship too and like have friends and have family. Like there's so many things going. Yeah. And, and when you're, when you're that, when you're feeling that guilty all the time, you know, those relationships are just tanking too at the same time. Yeah. So I, I it's, I agree. It's tough. What do you think about what she said initially there with uh, the one of her subjects who mentioned? <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't get that. So the 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 first subject, I guess, she brought up the idea that uh, a staff physician had mentioned, "Oh, wow, you you must have a really supportive husband," and she took that to be uh, quite a negative comment. And the one thing that went through my head is like, "Why? <laughs> we need support." Was the one thing I've learned from the the thirty minutes we've had on this podcast so far. So I don't know, like, break that down for me. Like, why was that a negative comment? Well, you know, Jeff, I, I don't know if I can speak for that resident uh, specifically, but, you know, I think what strikes me is that the comment was made at all. And I think we all know, you know, men who've had children in residency and a lot of them have supportive spouses. And I think I mean, maybe this is anecdotal. I, they don't get comments directed towards oh, how supportive your spouse might be. Maybe because there's an implicit assumption that that is the way things are. And when the tables are turned and there's a woman in medicine, I, I gather that this resident didn't appreciate the unsolicited comment on her family structure. Yeah, actually, you know that you make a good point. If you're making assumptions about gender roles and they bleed out and comments like that it, it, I guess that could hurt but I kind of want to go back to my first reaction because I, I do think that reaction was fair and I want to I want to drive it home uh, the one thing I've picked up from the 30 minutes of conversation we've had so far is that you can't do this without support mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what that support is if you're a female resident who happens to have a, a male partner at home or if maybe you're a male resident who happens to have parents that can help out it it, it doesn't really matter you just need support. Yeah. And Stacy had a little bit more to say about this, believe it or not. Yeah. And you know what? It didn't get any better. So uh, let's uh, see what Stacy had to say in round two. <laughs> so in terms of discussing normative and identity dilemmas, um, professional working mothers face unique work-life challenges. They've got to negotiate competing gender biases, being perceived either as cold-hearted and bad mothers or less committed to their work. And there's still a strong societal perception that a woman's primary role is in the home and women still perform more family duties than their male counterparts and make the most changes to their work schedules to accommodate family needs. Women have been shown to experience a quick motherhood penalty in the workplace where mothers are perceived to be less competent than non-mothers. And even highly educated women often give priority to careers of their male partners. 
women have been shown to experience higher levels of work-family conflict than men. Role overload in women is associated with decreased mental health, and single mothers are at greater risk for later life disabilities and early mortality. Early mortality? Early mortality. That's <laughs> what I heard at the end. But, you know, she, she said a lot there, and I, I don't know if there's too much more to comment on that, but there are so many glass ceilings, essentially, that still exist in 2018. And I think we really need to be conscious of that and work towards changing that. Because like I've said in the other podcast, we're going to be, you know, the people of medicine in in the future. And I think, you know, we can we can change the way things are, it'll take time, it'll take effort. But I'm I'm glad you brought up that idea of a glass ceiling, because I Maybe I'm naive, but I thought this was like a battle that previous generations had, had fought. Definitely naive. <laughs> and the, the one thing that I couldn't get out of my head when we heard that was, do you remember, I think it was 2015, when Justin Trudeau was asked, why do you have a gender-neutral gender cabinet? Do you remember? His... I do remember that because it was all over the news. And I think his response was, because it's 2015. Yeah, I think he said that. It might not be the right year, but he... But that was his response, yeah. <laughs> but now we're sitting in 2018 hearing from Stacy that the research on this shows that these gender roles are still very rock solid. And Absolutely. And I, I don't think it even gets much better for men either. Yeah. And I mean, she had stuff to say about the men. So, I mean, let's, let's hear what Stacy had to say about what the men face in the workplace as well. But on the other hand, men. They have fewer work-life initiatives available to them, and they're less likely to take advantage of those that are available. Men are awfully inform often informally discouraged from taking family-related leave. Men who take advantage of work-life initiatives are perceived as, quote, slackers and poor team players, and they are perceived to be less likely to work overtime, less punctual, and less willing to help colleagues, despite identical performance ratings compared to men who did not take leave. So this is all documented in the literature. Organizational cultures are still often very gender-biased, perceiving work-life initiatives as a benefit to working mothers, as men are rarely regarded as primary caregivers. And we do see that, again, paternity leave versus, you know, maternity leave. Those gender rules are not fluid. They're fixed. I just don't. I'm I'm still surprised. Call me naive. You've already called me naive. I have. <laughs> but, I mean, the idea, I mean, it's called parental leave. It's not called maternity leave. Yeah, but, you know, as much as we've talked about women and the challenges that they face, men do too. I think, you know, in 2018, a lot of men want to be involved in parenting. And I think I can think about a few examples where, you know, men who took parental leave in residency were ostracized, and it's really unfortunate. And maybe it doesn't happen in every single specialty, but there are certain there are certain specialties where people find that um, traditional gender roles are still strongly upheld. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, that's, I think it's tough. I think it's tough when we run into those, whether we're male or female. When at the end of the day, we're just struggling to get by, trying to be the best physicians we can be trying to not go into more debt. And it sounds like all of this is just almost hard to do. Mm -hmm. So we've now heard about how finances are tight. Time is at a premium. Breastfeeding is a challenge if you choose to do that. 
childcare is a nightmare, especially in BC. And now how gender roles really play into things when parenting. Is there anything left, Jeff? Well, Emily, for you and I, there is nothing left because uh, we're here on a Friday night recording a podcast. My social life involves you, at least this week. (laughs) But for the average non-podcast host, I suppose they might be out on a Friday night with their friends, hanging out, having fun. Uh, And I mean, I guess that means they have a social life. Do you think this social life would be harmed by parenting? Well, here's Stacy on that topic. <laughs> Hold your breath, kids. Social network dilemmas. So social network dilemmas are those that occur in relationship to friends, relatives, coworkers, management, and preceptors. And, you know, as we know, due to the consuming nature of parenting during residency, several participants reported feeling a sense of disconnection from their fellow residents and from their friends. Maternity leave was noted to be particularly isolating, both because, you know, your cohort moved on without you and just because, you know, they're busy and they can't continue to connect with you while you're at home with a baby. So some reported feeling supported by the administration and their colleagues, but others felt less supported. Many felt that they were not resented, but did report a self-imposed feeling of being perceived as less serious about training and residency due to parenthood or to taking maternity leave. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So nothing survives. This is a scorched earth policy. We have returned to... (laughs) No social life either. (laughs) Yeah. No social life. I mean, not that I had one, but for those who have one, I mean, that's a tough loss. I mean, it's just quite obvious, I think, how your social life gets impacted. You... It's not that parents can't go out on a Friday or Saturday night. It just means there's additional challenges before you can make that happen. And it's, you know, the the additional pieces in residency specifically, if you take parental leave, you're then joining up with a whole new cohort of residents who already have established friendships. And I can't imagine how difficult that is. Yeah, this actually might be a time where some of my personal life experience actually has merit. Um, so I, I did med school in like two sections. I did half of med school and left for a while. You know, I was over it. <laughs> Had better things to do. <laughs> and then came back into med school. And when I came back into med school the second time, it was remarkably socially isolating. And this is a time when you're around a whole bunch of other people in the same social situation. You'd think everyone would just kind of get along and be friendly, but... When I got parachuted back into my second class, like everyone already had friends, everyone already had plans for Friday night. And when I just kind of showed up, they just kind of looked at me like I was a three-headed elephant, like nobody wanted to hang out with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I can totally see how how even in residency, missing your cohort, missing your missing your graduation date for whatever reason would be an incredibly socially isolating experience. Absolutely. And and there's probably a third piece to this. So one being the challenges of just having the you know, the challenges, the mechanical challenges of going out on like any given night, it's, it's harder to do that as a parent. The second being, you know, joining a different cohort and that is, you know, residency specific. But the third is at least the one that comes to mind is the loss of identity that some people feel or a change in identity. And um, maybe I'm, you know, speaking about some of my friends who've become parents, but I know you know, their social life changes a little bit because now they're interacting with more parents and, you know, they're 
their frame of reference has changed a little bit and you can't necessarily identify with the same things that non-parents identify with. Um, and so that's another piece to this whole puzzle. Totally. I mean, uh, you, Emily, as a podcast co-host, that's a huge part of your identity, right? I've been upgraded. <laughs> and so, I mean, for you to lose that identity because of parenting, parenting duties, I mean, that, that changes who you are. Absolutely. And that can totally have a negative impact on your self-image, I, I, I could imagine. Yeah. Hopefully not, but these but, are tough times. But residency is still the best time to have kids, right? I mean, <laughs> this is the unsolicited advice I keep getting on a weekly basis from staff that I work with, from other residents that I've worked with. Do you get this advice all the time, Jeff? Uh, no one gives me any advice about parenting. I think oh, well, they, there you go. they all know that I should not be a parent. <laughs> but but Stacy did talk about this, right? And and the last two podcasts that we that were on this topic did kind of conclude with the idea that parenting in residency is a good idea. So maybe let's hear what Stacy has to say on this. Um, it's a good question. Um, I think the problem is that. Uh, financially, it's a good time to do it, right? You know, afterwards, you don't have the, that maternity leave, right? You don't have the protections that our union gives us, you know, for example. So I feel like in some ways, they're forced into it. And other times, too, is, you know, the people who respond to this were ages 29 to 41. You know, these are people with long residencies, and you can't put it off, you know? Or, or if you do, you know, you're more likely not to have you know, perhaps have trouble having children later on. And so I can't blame them for saying, you know what, there's never a good time. Let's just do it and, and, and do the best we can. And what I find, what I found mostly, I mean, we often focus on the negative, but I find that these people were incredibly resilient people. All of them got through their residencies. I think, I, I think that because I've been so slow at doing this myself, you know, that everybody's pretty much done now. <laughs> and, uh, and the thing is, though, that I feel like there are work-life initiatives that can be offered and offered in certain ways that can support people through these things. And I think she cut out there again. <laughs> yeah, we lost her. But, Darn. man, is this podcast about to get positive? Are we about to say something <laughs> positive finally? I think we are. I'm very excited for that moment. We're, what, 40 minutes in and we're about to say something positive? Yeah, let's hear if any of the residents back up this positivity that Stacy is saying about it actually is a good thing to have children in residency so i will admit that i kind of led claire on here i asked claire if she could tell me about the best moments of parenting but that's a positive thing right well she had something to say about it let's hear it let's hear it the best moments the best moments right now for me is actually when i come home so i enjoy the compartmentalization of my life right now i find weekends where it's just my husband and my son and i it's like oh god this is a long time <laughs> So I actually really enjoy just a bit of time in the morning and then the time in the evening. So when, right now when I come home, I open the front door and he hears the front door. He's, he's 13, 14 months now and he walks and you can hear, you can hear him get up around the corner. You can hear do, 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 his little footsteps and he comes around the corner with a big smile. So that's a really nice thing right now is to, to come home is an interesting feeling because when you're with your kid all day, you don't necessarily get that same sense of like, oh, here's one beautiful moment because mm -hmm. it's, it's all spread out over the day and it's a lot of work. <laughs> Emily, that was something positive. It was. That was sweet. 
That was such a nice moment, having a little kid run up to the door. You can hear their footsteps coming to say hi. I'm sure that would be a really nice moment for Claire. Yeah, and and thanks for putting up with us non-parents <laughs> this, running this podcast. But I I really think that the people that we interviewed provided some really interesting insights into the pros and the cons of being a parent in residency. And I think we can probably end it there on a high note. <laughs> yeah, we should probably end on a high note. Um, yeah, and I just want to say I really want to thank everyone who took the time to make this miniseries happen. We interviewed so many people, and Stacy, who you heard a lot from this inter- this uh, episode, our interview with her alone is an hour and a half long. And, and that's- six other interviews, too, on yeah. top of that. Yeah, and, and those all those interviews were filled with just excellent comments and commentary and thoughts. Unfortunately, we can't fit everything else, everything in, and we are cognizant of your time as residents. Uh, so we tried to summarize some of the best moments, and we hope that you learned a lot from this. So the other piece is just ask your friends at Resident Doctors of BC, that's us, you know, Resident Wellness Office, your program director, staff that you're using as mentors, and your peers if you're really thinking of embarking upon parenting. And then the flip side is that recognize that parenting is not for everybody, and that is totally okay as well. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening to the main content, but... Wait. There's more! Bonus content. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we actually had the opportunity to interview one other resident uh, who was asked to remain anonymous. Uh, and this resident is in a non-traditional family structure. So she's a female that's married to a female. And we realized in the course of this podcast that we really end up talking a lot about traditional gender roles and traditional family structures. But as Justin Trudeau said, it's 2018 or whatever year he said it was. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm going to go with 2018. It's 2018. So, yeah. so let's hear what this resident has to say. I, from what from what I've I've seen on the collective agreement, just looking at the part about parenting, it seems like there is really good support um, that's gender neutral with, with respect to parental leave. Um, so that's really great. And I don't know much about what sort of supports there are and and what's written into the policy around things like adopting, which also can be a consideration for same sex couples. But I, that'd be something I'd probably consider looking into, depending on how things go. Yeah, totally. So it's good to hear just from the outset that she thinks it's possible for her and her partner to use the collective agreement as written to start a family herself. Mm -hmm. And we wondered, how are you going to have the kid? And she definitely touches on this as well. For sure. Uh, We were probably going to go the route of having a donor um, and having my wife carry the baby. Um, But, you know, adoption has been on my mind from time to time. And so it's, it's, it's definitely a consideration. I imagine it's a... There's a whole other host of uh, potential difficulties and, and details associated with adopting and, and needs that a new, uh, that a parent of a new adopted kid might have as a resident. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> life is never easy, is it? No, there's a whole new wrinkle um, in this particular situation. Yeah, and I mean, she pointed to the solution they're pursuing, which is uh, to find a donor and then to have her wife carry the child. But uh, she also mentioned adoption, and those are both just extra complications that a an extra financial strain, I think, for sure that a a, a more traditional family structure might not mm-hmm. face. And you know, when you talk about financial strain, she actually went on to talk about that uh, when I asked her about some of the other things that might be 
extra difficult for someone in her position. You know, that is something that is really true. Even early in this process, I, I've noticed there's lots of doctor's appointments. There's lots of other sort of hoops uh, and that that we have to jump through that that um, that maybe straight couples don't necessarily have to, at least not not initially. Um, and there's also a, co a cost associated with it that, that I really can't ignore that um, with just getting started with the process, including legal fees and going to specialist appointments. Um, so it's all, yeah, part of the picture of being in a, a bit of a, a different situation, thinking about starting a family. Emily would like to point out that she did not know the finances talk was coming. <laughs> She's just such an elite podcast host that she saw it from miles away. <laughs> So, I mean, you heard it uh, directly, and I don't think we should or have a lot to add to those comments. I, I have one thing to add, oh, okay. which is how mind-blown I was at how much more complicated it is for same-sex couples to have a child. Absolutely. Because we actually, we talked about this for, oh, I don't know, out, like an hour or more. Yeah. And I, I like the fact that you need a lawyer to have the child registered as... Is both of you as the parents? It's it's wow. Yeah, that just really speaks to kind of a broader issues in terms of how challenging that is. But it's something that you know in medicine, medicine alone is challenging. Clearly, as we've yeah. talked about, but this just adds a whole nother wrinkle. Um, and sure. I think I I'm just very impressed that she managed to do that. For sure. And I, I guess the takeaway point, just like it has been throughout the podcast, is uh, parenting can be challenging. Look for support if you need it. And uh, if you're in a specific family situation that might require more support, ask for it. So. This brings us to the real end of the podcast. The final end of the podcast. Um, but we do have our administrative stuff. So I'm just going to pause. We're going to pretend I turned on the outro music, which I will have turned on in editing. Okay. Because the outro music is key. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, thank you for listening to the Pulse podcast. I'm Jeff. The co-host of this episode, Emily. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming, Emily. Um, so in terms of the business end of the podcast, we always like to talk about upcoming events. Uh, upcoming events for RDBC, I don't think we actually have much going on this month, Emily. Annual general meeting on August 18th. Of you should course. come to that. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. Where board elections will happen for new executive members, and you'll learn about how the board works and how you can get involved. Right, and that is a Saturday at uh, 5 p.m. because uh, we have really active social lives, so we hope to see you all there. <laughs> but it is an important meeting if you're interested in how governance works within the union, so yeah, come and on out. And we may be having a Labor Day barbecue as well. Possibly. Yeah. TBD. So that's it for upcoming events. Uh, in terms of uh, consults pending, so things that we were working on on your behalf as resident doctors of BC, uh, you just got an email about our negotiation survey, and that really is the only update I have. It is so important. This negotiation survey is the compilation of the six previous surveys that you guys have completed. And, and just to expand on what Emily said, this is all about the upcoming negotiations we are about to enter in uh, on your behalf uh, with the provincial government for a new salary or sorry for a new contract so the resident doctors of bc are about to renegotiate your residency contract with the provincial government and these surveys really form the bedrock of our ability to negotiate in your best interest 
So um, we do have the, res the results of those sur surveys actually just came out in your inbox. So if you're at all interested, have a look at those. And that's really going to be the focus of the resident doctors of BC in terms of what we're doing on your behalf for the next little while. We're really going to be working towards getting that, our negotiation strategy down so that, so that we can best represent you in the, the upcoming months. So thanks again for listening. Emily, any final thoughts? No. All right. We'll catch you guys on our next episode. Subject TBD. If you have any good ideas, be sure to get in contact with us at podcast at residentdoctorsbc.ca. Uh, we just this is the end of the parenting mini series, so we are we are being set free and looking for new topics to to do another mini series on. So speak to you soon. <laughs>